0: This is the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames, brought to you by Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. For the next hour, we'll be discussing the particular challenges and real-life solutions for families with special needs. If you found us, please know that you are not alone. To find out more, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here is your host, Julie Ames, on AM860, The Answer.
1: Thanks for listening today to the Special Needs Family Hour. I'm Julie Ames on AM 860 The Answer. Our show is dedicated to helping those parents and caregivers who are caring for special people. The theme of the show is the essay, Welcome to Holland, by Emily Pearl Kingsley. Kingsley describes the experience of raising a child with a disability. It's like planning a fabulous vacation trip to Italy, only to realize that your plane has landed in Holland. Holland isn't a bad place, it's just a different place. You must go out, buy a new guidebook, learn a whole new language, and meet a whole new group of people you would never have met. Holland is a code word for living life with those with disabilities. My hope and prayer are that the challenges we all face in Holland will make us better people. It has been an interesting time for us in Holland. Our oldest two daughters, Marie and Christina, are on the autism spectrum and have intellectual disabilities. Our youngest daughter, Anna, is in college. Our little peek a lady hurt her leg. And yes, the girls named our little dog after Lady in Disney's Lady and the Tramp movie. I heard Lady yelp shortly after arriving home earlier today. She most likely jumped off the couch and landed the wrong way on her right paw. I always feel so terrible at the thought of her being in pain, especially since she has no way to communicate what is wrong. So we plan to watch her for 24 hours to see if she gets better. The last time she hurt her leg, we immediately made an appointment with the veterinarian. The girls and I were very careful and gentle with her, and they were so sweet with our little lady. Much to our amazement, she started running around once we were in the veterinarian waiting room. I felt extremely foolish as I watched her. It was as if nothing had happened to her. The veterinarian was very kind. He looked at Lady's leg, and he told all of us that she was fine. He smiled and said there would be no charge for our visit. Today, we have an awesome show. Our guests are Misty Ross with the Healthy Minds and Family Program. Today, we have a great show. Our guests are Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Neb Jones with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at the University of South Florida. We will be discussing the Success for Kids and Family Early Psychosis Treatment Program, Healthy Minds. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 the answer. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guests are Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, And Dr. Neb Jones of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at the University of South Florida. We will be discussing the Success for Kids and Families Early Psychosis Treatment Program, Healthy Minds. Hi, Misty and Dr. Jones. Please introduce yourself, not introduce yourself, but please tell our audiences a little bit about yourself
2: and how you came to be working with Healthy Minds. Hi, Misty. Good morning. Thank you so much, Julie. Um, so about a year and a half ago, um, I had been with Success for Kids and Families for about four years um, when um, our deputy executive director um, and director um, decided to um, apply for a grant for this particular program. Um, so we, it is a program funded through the state. Um, and when I read about the program and the program manager position, it almost felt like it was written for me. Every single aspect of the um, responsibilities for this position sort of called out to me. Um, I'm a very proactive person by nature, um, and um, both of my parents have experienced um, psychosis during their lives as well. Um, And so I just really um, felt called to take this position. Um, It is a very... Um, a program that really is uh, much more upstream than most. Um, And what I've learned is that um, individuals who are served in programs like this, which um, are coordinated specialty care programs, um, have much better long-term outcomes than individuals who receive what we call treatment as usual, which typically consists of maybe medication management, maybe some talk therapy, but nothing nearly as intensive or comprehensive as this. Um, So that is how I became involved with the program.
1: Awesome, and Dr. Nev Jones. Um, Hi. Well, thank you guys for
3: inviting me to be here. Um, My initial involvement with specialized early psychosis services, which we generally refer to um, in 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 more kind of contemporary times as coordinated specialty care. but initially I got involved actually as a, as a patient or as a client. So I went through an early psychosis program in Chicago well over a decade ago. Um, And then once I got back into graduate school in psychology, um, you know, immediately, you know, kind of started focusing my research and, you know, other activities, practice development um, and technical assistance work on early psychosis and specifically these kinds of early intervention programs. And um, since then have just kind of continued to do. Um, A lot of work in this area wearing, you know, kind of many different hats.
1: So how did you how did USA, USF and healthy kids and families, how did you guys come together for this? So when I
3: first moved to Tampa three, three and a half years ago, there were no early psychosis programs in the entire region. Um, In fact, at that point in time about a a three-and-a-half-hour drive to the closest program, which was just outside of Jacksonville. And so um, I connected pretty quickly with John Mayo, who is the associate director at um, Success for Kids and Families. We originally um, had worked together on a clinical high risk for early psychosis grant, which for various reasons we ended up not being able to submit. And then when the opportunity to to potentially start an early psychosis program in Tampa happened, um, I worked on that, um, that grant application with John and HealthEMA, I mean, Success for Kids and Families, obviously before the program had started, and then they were awarded that grant. So I sort of been involved since the beginning. Um, Then at USF or from USF, we got a grant to kind of create a collaborative research partnership between Healthy Minds and USF so that we can really understand people's experiences in the program and their outcomes and document that and hopefully use that information to really advocate for um, a larger number of these programs in Florida.
1: Awesome. So you're going to – USF's involvement is going to allow for evaluation – collaboration, and records as far as what works and what can be added to the program. Now, here's what I'm excited about. When Misty called me and told me that you guys had this program, I know people in my life that if they had been helped early on, I wonder what the results would have been and what would have been different. And some of your statistics, like you were saying, if someone has early intervention, the chances of them actually having a mental diagnosis is what? What are you What are you looking at right now? So it doesn't
2: necessarily impact diagnosis per se; it right. more impacts um, functioning in all areas of life. So whether we're talking, right. um, you know, educational, uh, vocational, social um, things like that. So the earlier, um, the, the shorter, what we call the uh, duration of untreated psychosis, the DUP, yes. the more. Um, um, the more improved um, long-term outcomes are in all areas of functioning.
1: Yes. Okay. And now, when we talk about psychosis, please explain to our listeners what are we talking about when we talk about psychosis?
3: So, Dr. Jones. Yeah. So, psychosis. The term psychosis actually just refers to a set of symptoms as opposed to particular diagnoses. Um, And so sort of the the, the, the best known kind of symptoms of psychosis are probably auditory hallucinations or voices. Right. um, And... Delusions or you know unusual beliefs, especially paranoia or persecutory beliefs. So people feeling like somebody's following them, somebody is after them, somebody is maybe um, you know has put them or their home under surveillance. Those those sorts of experiences. There are also negative symptoms that we think of as belonging under the psychosis umbrella. Negative symptoms, lack of motivation, um, kind of slow. Slowing down of movement, slowing down of thought, slowing down of speech. Mm And then disorganization. So disorganized thinking patterns, jumping quickly from topic to topic, not being able to maintain a sort of thread in conversation. Um, and then some sort of more extreme variations of that can include what's called association clanging, where we're jumping from words that either sound, sound the same yes. or are the same. So, for example... Um, You know, there's this person Mr. Smith who lives you know a couple blocks down from me and then there's this road somewhere else in Tampa that's Smith Street and then there's the Smith building downtown and they're all connected and somebody's right. thought pattern will jump from instance of Smith to Smith to Smith <laughs> creating connections between them that are you know kind of very very different from how we you know more normally or typically kind of think and wow. you know knit meaning together.
1: So if you're listening- Listening to this, Dr. Neff just gave you a whole gamut of areas of psychosis. The person, yes, Misty.
2: Um, so, just kind of piggybacking off of that, um, just kind of wanted to mention a little bit about. Well, there are um, different what we would call psychotic disorders, whether it's you know what we call schizophrenia spectrum disorders right. or psychotic symptoms that occur in the context of what we call affective um, psychosis, like bipolar disorder and depression. You can also, um, you know, it's also somewhat common to see a lot of these symptoms that um, Dr. Jones was just mentioning in other, um, in the context of other um, conditions and disorders. So, for instance. Young children with autism spectrum disorder right. can have, you know, a visual and auditory and other types of hallucinations. That's actually relatively common. Right. Um, other neurological conditions like brain injuries or seizure disorders can actually right. cause psychotic symptoms. Um, so basically also trauma, post-traumatic right. stress disorder, you can often see um, symptoms Same of things. psychosis, which again, you know, ties into um, those experiences where, You know, say, for instance, you've um, been, you know, you've experienced a sexual assault. And so now you have this, um, these you know, this PTSD sort of diagnosis, but then you have a lot of like, you know, paranoia and things, uh, understandably so, related to the perpetrator. Maybe they're watching you, they're following you, they're after your friends or family members. And so it sort of morphs into this much bigger, um, really scary kind of experience. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Well, one one yes. one other thing too I think it's really important to add in this context is you know so you know when we talk about hallucinations or hearing voices and paranoia in their most acute form they're pretty easy for most people to recognize when these kinds of symptoms or experiences are first developing they tend to be a lot more subtle and a lot of the time parents, you know, it can take parents and even providers, unless they really have specialized training, months to years to really understand what's going on. And part of that is that, you know, at least for some, you know, kids and young people, it's it's a very kind of slow development. So just for example, rather than suddenly waking up and hearing a voice one day, it might be months of somebody just sort of maybe thinking that they're hearing a, You know, hearing a whispering sound and they, you know, look behind their shoulder and there's nothing there. And it's maybe not that different from pretty much everybody who occasionally hears their cell phone, for example, going off when it hasn't really. Or, you know, new parents hear their babies crying when they're not um, actually crying. So it's, you know, doesn't necessarily look or feel that radically different from normal experience. And it's only over time that as it becomes more and more. Are severe and pronounced that then, you know, maybe providers or parents start to think, okay, this is not just, you know, this is not just unusual. There's really something yes. wrong here.
1: Right. And what are the ages that you're servicing with your program, Healthy Minds,
2: Misty? So typically with coordinated specialty care, the focus is on youth and young adults, 15 to about 30. Um, But in part because we've always been a child and family serving agency, we decided to be more flexible um, um, with our – so we don't necessarily have a strict um, hard and fast age range. So sometimes there could be younger. We do. We have um, a couple of 11- and Um, 12-year-olds. We we briefly served a child well under 10 um, who – there was a lot of family history, so a lot of risk factors there. Right. Um, But um, there are certainly – some challenges with that that we work through. But we really do recognize that we may not be the best program, um, you know, overall, but we are the best that's available in our community at this time. And so we do the best that we can to serve them um, and kind of meet them where they're at.
1: Right. Well, I'm just glad that someone out there is trying to meet them where they are and that at least we have this resource in Hillsborough County now, which is awesome. Why don't we take a break there and we'll continue on the other side. I'm Julie Ames and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. I'm here with Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Families and Dr. Neb Jones with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavior Neurosciences at USF. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM 860. The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, Here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. Our guests are Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Nev Jones of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at USF. We are discussing the Success for Kids and Family Early Psychosis Treatment Program called Healthy Minds. Now, Misty, can you walk us through an example of accessing your services and how this goes? So I'm a parent, mm-hmm. and let's say I'm... Wondering about my child right now. I'm listening and thinking, gosh, some of this might be familiar.
2: So let me just talk a little bit about our services. Okay. And then I'll, and then I'll delve into the enrollment process Perfect. If, that, Perfect. if that works. That sounds great. Um, so first of all, I um, want to start by saying um, all services are both community and office based. Again, we're meeting people where they are, you know, right. phys- you know literally and... Um, and figuratively. Yes. Um, our services are very much client-driven. Regardless of the age of the participant, we really meet them where they are, talk about what their goals are, and, and use that as sort of our um, starting point. Um, we also um, take a very recovery-focused approach. Um, we really try to instill, um, you know, hope and, um, and faith that— Um, While you're going through or have just gone through maybe the most difficult thing you've ever experienced in your life, that this does not have to change the trajectory of your life by any means, that you can still reach every goal that you've set for yourself. And how do we go about doing that? Um, Part of that is um, a shared decision making approach. So really from beginning to end we um, we really allow the participants and families to drive the bus, so to speak. Right. And so even if they only elect um, certain parts of our services or programs um, initially, if they change their mind down the road, that's perfectly fine. Right. And we will then, you know, uh, implement those additional services. And the reverse is also true. If they start out saying, yes, I want everything, and then maybe they're feeling overwhelmed or maybe that's not a goal they want to work on right, right now, then they can um, sort of um, – um, on, on the flip side of that, say, okay, I, I want to focus on this right now and we'll come back to that later. So, again, just being as flexible as possible um, with the participants and families. Um, so, coordinated specialty care has several different models. Um, the model that we specifically use is called On Track and it's actually out of New York, um, but it's uh, mm-hmm. in dozens of states at this point. Um, and one of the reasons we went with this model um, versus um, Navigate, which is the model used throughout the rest of the state, is um, because they're, um, it's more uh, rooted in peer support. So that's okay. one of our primary services. Um, there's also more sort of research um, uh, and, and robust sort of longitudinal research supporting right. outcomes for the on-track model versus um, Navigate. While there are a lot of similarities, yes. um, that's why we, we elected on-track. So um, starting with the peer support, this is a young person under the age of 25 with lived experience on our team who we like to describe as a friend with boundaries. So they're going to walk with the person on their recovery journey. Um, we also have individual clinicians um, who will provide one-on-one um, support, um, working on, you know, coping skills, any kind of co-occurring issues like depression or anxiety or um, OCD, things like that. Um, and also will provide a lot of psychoeducation. Um, yes. All of this really is rooted in psychoeducation. Um, We also uh, have group support. So we have groups uh, monthly for our participants as well as for our families, um, which is where our family education clinician comes in. Um, She's bilingual, and she works um, one-on-one with um, not just families, but anybody the participant identifies as a support in their life. Again, that flexibility is key. Um, We have employment education specialists. Who really focus on work and school go- goals? So GED attainment, finishing right. high school, resume writing, applying for jobs—all of that. Um, we also have a psychiatrist that we subcontract with, um, who also provides both community and office-based services. Um, which, as many of you know, is unheard of. Um, <laughs> but again, meeting participants where they are. Some of the our folks will not leave their home because they are so terrified. They're so right. symptoms are so acute. Um, and so we just do the best we can to provide all of the services, no matter what the barriers are, so to speak. Right. Um, so our psychiatrist takes what we call a low and slow approach with medication. Um, many of our folks have never been on an antipsychotic or any other type of medication. Right. So she'll typically start with one, maybe two at a time. Um, you know, typically uh, medications that have fewer side effects. Um, right. and then sort of um uh kind of go from there. And so ideally within a couple of uh, of tries um we identify the you know what's going to um have the greatest most positive impact on both positive and negative symptoms. Right. Um and then um, okay, sorry. Yes. So as far as um, enrolling in our program. Yes. So a couple of different ways uh, to access services. Um, you can either visit our website, which is www.S4KF.org. Say it one more time for those people running to get their pen. <laughs> it's www.S4KF.org. So the Success for Kids and Families acronym. Yes. Um, Or um, you could reach out to me on my cell, which is 813-724-4679. Again, that's 813-724-4679. If you yourself or a friend or a family member um, is experiencing some of the symptoms that we've talked about and um, you're concerned and want to... you know, discuss whether our program is appropriate, feel free to reach out.
1: That is awesome. And it's such a, what I really liked what you said is that because you have this situation, it doesn't mean it has to change the trajectory of your life and your goals. But it's a very scary time for the individual and it's a very scary time for the family. Because you're you're facing a situation and then you're having to rebuild from there and regroup. Mm -hmm. And to have you, the support that your organization would offer is just awesome because I know you. I know when I look in my life at different situations, um, I could see where this could have helped different people.
2: Mm-hmm. One thing I do want to add that I uh, failed to mention is that our services are provided free of charge. As Nev mentioned, we are funded through a grant. So wow. really the funds come from the state for all of the services we provide. Um, within our program. So um, just wanted to put that out there as well.
3: How, however, this might be a good time to add that right now, uh, service eligibility is is limited to families and individuals living within Hillsborough County. Right. For um, listeners who are outside of Hillsborough County, um, Healthy Minds is still, you know, kind of totally willing to help Again, families or individuals troubleshoot, connect with services in their own county or region. We would also kind of strongly, uh, you know, encourage advocacy around getting more of these programs started in Florida in an expanded number of counties. So if someone's Um, listening
1: to you and like, gosh, I'd like to have that in my county, could they call you guys or... A- absolutely. Base. I mean,
3: there are, yeah, there are, you know, a couple of different efforts and groups within the state of Florida who are actively working on advocacy around increasing the number of these programs that we could help um, connect anyone who's interested mm-hmm. with, as well as some local efforts we're aware of, like in Sarasota. So definitely right. happy to, yeah, happy to connect about that. Mm.
1: Awesome, awesome. Well, why don't we take a break there, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. I am here with Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Neb Jones of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at USF. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's specialneedsfamilyhour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guests are Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Neb Jones with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at USF. We are discussing the Success for Kids and Families Early Psychosis Treatment Program called Healthy Minds. Now, we've been discussing different aspects of it, but let's talk about examples. So, for instance, I... I know a person that was probably about 18, graduated from high school, got injured on the job. And the insurance, there was a private detective following. You know how the insurance does that to make sure a person's really injured. But that, best I can tell, was the beginning of his paranoia. So it seem reasonable at the time. What would you do in that example? So you're the family and it just seems like, gosh, this person's going on and on. I'm sure there's someone's falling because we all know that happens. What do you guys say?
3: I would Dr. Just say Ned, that it's Jones. it's very, very common for um, you know, symptoms of psychosis to sort of begin in real experiences. And in some cases there's always a, a you know, a somewhat blurry line between You know aspects of what somebody is experiencing that are real or are grounded in reality, um, and aspects that really seem to be more um, strongly departing from that. Um, So examples certainly are people who have experienced trauma or abuse and their voices or their perceptions of being followed or persecuted are pretty directly related to the abuse or trauma they experience. Sometimes the voice that they're hearing is the voice of a perpetrator. Right. So these things can be, you know, very, very,
1: you know, very, very linked. Right. Right. So like for a for a. Young man what what when would that start or young woman like when do you start looking at this?
3: well, as we were saying earlier, there's a pretty broad age range, so really early onset psychosis can begin you know even as young as six, seven, eight, It's unusual, but it's not unheard of um really, all the way up into the early thirties with sort of right. the peak. For men in the very early 20s, peak for women in the mid-20s, but again, like a big spread in terms of where these experiences can first start. And in some cases, we actually see certain symptoms developing a lot earlier, especially when there's a trauma history. So you can see this pattern where... Um, Already in childhood, in the context of like, let's say, sexual abuse or molestation or something, a child starts to hear voices, but doesn't really meet criteria for a diagnosis like schizophrenia until they hit their late teens. And then additional symptoms like maybe paranoia or unusual beliefs develop And then that's when they kind of really end up meeting criteria for and being diagnosed with an actual psychotic disorder. So there are a lot of different variations in terms of how psychosis develops and how it manifests. And Mm -hmm. we know there are a lot of different contributing factors. So trauma is one, but there's a significant proportion of people with psychosis who have never experienced trauma or neglect. Um, so there can be environmental contributors. Some of those that we know of are migrating um, to a new country from another country, especially migrating under difficult circumstances. Right. Um, there are, uh, you know, differences between um, kids who grow up in urban settings versus rural settings. So right. or growing up in an urban area or urbanicity is increases risk for psychosis. There are prenatal and birth factors that have been associated. Um, for instance, um, you know, contracting the flu, influenza while pregnant, has been linked to to schizophrenia. So there's kind of a really a variety of different things, and then
1: substances. Yes, um, well, the, I, yes, I wanted to talk about that. Yes, yeah, we actually did a show on. Um, and I will be. I run my financial shows in the spring, but we did a show about um, a tax time. I run the financial shows because <laughs> everyone's thinking about money and budgets. But we actually did a show with a financial planner who his thing was financial planning for mental illness, and we discussed the impact of marijuana mm-hmm. because I actually know someone that that was a part of their history, mm-hmm. and they ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia, and he said that that was also an impact.
3: Yeah, and, uh, you know, in in terms of where research is at, we know that um, marijuana use is, is one of the drugs that is most strongly associated with um, increased risk of developing psychosis. Some researchers would go so far as to say that it's a causal risk factor. Right. And I think this is something that in the United States in general, people are not... Uh, You know, kind of sufficiently aware of, given the legalization of marijuana, especially if there are other risk factors. So if there's genetic risk, meaning family members um, in previous generations or extended family who have experienced psychosis, probably want to be super careful about you know kind of letting your child know really kind of explaining the risks involved there and you know just paying a lot more attention than if there's none of those kind of genetic risk factors or history of trauma and you know in addition to that then if a teen is smoking a lot of marijuana um Just being very attentive to if their behavior starts to seem, you know, to to depart from what's normal for them, keeping in mind that there is this very strong link between especially heavy marijuana use, marijuana that's high in THC, and we don't necessarily
1: know. Yes, let's explain that, the THC part, because... I when marijuana is being legalized, everyone's laughing. Oh, well, you know, it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. But the marijuana that maybe some people are listening that smoked way back when it's a little bit different right now. Can you please explain that, Misty?
2: So this is kind of a perfect opportunity to tie in an example, which is where we started to this. So a a couple of more things about the marijuana use. Um, First of all. Early childhood and, and you know, preteen years, particularly if it's chronic use, is the most strongly linked when you're talking about frequency and duration of use. Right. Um, studies show that um, back in the 70s when you would purchase marijuana, you were talking maybe a 5 to 10% THC rate. Nowadays, you're looking at upwards of 70%, 80 90% at times THC wow. rate but that's not the only issue. There's a disproportionate balance between the THC. There's actually a specific type of THC Delta-9 in particular that's linked, Um, but the disproportionality of that to CBD levels is also um, causing and even is really exacerbating the impact because CBD tends to almost um, counteract the sort of psychoactive effects of the THC. And in addition to that, I just read a study that talked about the brain receptors in individuals who um, have used marijuana and have subsequently um, developed psychosis. They actually have fewer CBD receptors already in their brains is what new research is showing. So it's just layer upon layer of risk factor with the type of marijuana that you find today that's often laced with other things. Um, and so that that kind of um, All right. um, is is, um, is key to note. Okay. Can I, Go ahead.
1: Well, I, I just have this question because what do you say to the family? Because I know a family and the, the son does really well in school. Mm-hmm. He likes to smoke marijuana. The family, the way they control it is as long as you're making great grades and he's an amazing student. So what do you tell that family? What do you tell that kid? It looks like everything's under control.
2: You know, never, never really thought about that, honestly. But all I can say, <laughs> I is, it I can can say is it's almost like a Russian roulette. Because right. if you're talking about a child who y- you don't know what the composition of their brain is, you right. don't know at what point. Like we have a young man who chronically used for four years. Multiple times a day, and at that four-year mark, when he hit 18, that's when his psychosis took off. And so, it really um, it was the culmination of that chronic and prolonged use starting at the age of about 13, 14 for him. Right. So, and the other thing is, keep in mind if you have a family history of uh, schizophrenia or psychosis, you're even more at risk. If you've experienced different types of trauma, in particular, the top three related to psychosis are bullying, sexual assault, and witnessing domestic violence. So you're adding in all of these other risk factors that are really just enhancing and increasing your risk of developing, of having a psychotic episode and or developing a lifelong disorder as a result. So I think that would be my cautionary response to that. And if you've experienced all three types of those traumas, you're 193 times more likely to develop a psychotic disorder. 193 times.
1: That's amazing. Well, why don't we take a break there? And we'll be back shortly and continue this conversation. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860 The Answer. I'm here with Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Neb Jones with the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at USF. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: To reach Julie or any of the guests on today's show, call 813-816-2637. That's 813-816-2637. Or go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Special Needs Family Hour with Julie Ames on AM 860, The Answer. To contact Julie, go to specialneedsfamilyhour.com. That's SpecialNeedsFamilyHour.com. Now, here's Julie Ames.
1: I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Our guests are Misty Ross, the Healthy Minds Program Manager with Success for Kids and Family, and Dr. Neb Jones of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at USF. We are discussing the Success for Kids and Families early psychosis treatment program called Healthy Minds. Now, Misty, I know you can't talk about any specific cases, but can you give people just a general idea of some of your success stories that you've experienced with this program since you've been managing it?
2: So while I can't talk about any specific participants, right? Um, I can talk about just generally speaking, Um, Some of the folks who have been referred who um, would have uh, greatly benefited from our services but unfortunately had been symptomatic beyond the two years, that is the window in which we will serve an individual. So if symptoms have persisted more than two years um, just in keeping with um, the model that we use, um, because we can have the most impact if, if it's within that time frame. So that's right. sort of where we're honing in our um, resources. Um, so I can think of at least five people, maybe 10 off the top of my head, who had been symptomatic, 345 some even 8 to 10 years oh my. um who unfortunately we couldn't serve um but just in speaking with them or in speaking with their families and the 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 sort of trajectory of when the symptoms started and the 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 lack of access to um early and appropriate services and how sort of one thing led to another and so they right. were frequently in and out of um you know Baker Act um inpatient hospitalizations um they some involved became involved with the criminal justice system many dropped out of school um and had other just life challenges Um, Some, you know, began using substances to try to cope with self-medicating. Self-medicating. Absolutely. There was a lot of self-stigma and uh, family stigma um, that I that I heard in those conversations. And so that's much of what we're trying to combat. Um, As I mentioned earlier, just instilling hope that this isn't how your life always has to look. You can still reach your goals. And so um, just as i said more generally speaking um and and piggybacking on what nev said earlier is it's often difficult to um identify um um individuals early on who would most benefit because a lot of the symptoms that you see particularly the negative symptoms right where you're withdrawing from friends and family you're you have a lack of motivation things like that um, are frequently seen and more common mental illnesses like depression, and so that's another sort of barrier to identifying folks early. Right. And and our goal really is like within the first three months, if we can get them in the first three months, we know that is the best chance for the most successful outcomes. Wow. Unfortunately, most folks it's an average of fourteen to eighteen months from the beginning of onset of symptoms before it's actually identified as right. psychosis. Oh. And so, um, The, the yeah. other thing yes. I would add, gotcha. and this is
3: certainly <laughs> true throughout Florida, is that even if there is very clear psychosis, meaning a parent knows something is really, really wrong, unless you happen to be in one of the seven counties that has an early psychosis service, What is most likely going to happen is that you are going to maybe call around to some psychiatrist's offices, potentially be told that there's a three to six or even, you know, longer waiting list to get them in. Then you're going to end up in a Baker Act or at an emergency room, and it will probably morph into a Baker Act short term, 72 hours, maybe a week at most, of stabilization that may or may may not be very effective and that doesn't necessarily even create a pathway into seeing a psychiatrist getting a full assessment, getting getting help. We also have an incredible dearth of providers, clinicians and therapists who are trained to work in a more specialized way with psychosis. So you know, your average therapist will really not have any idea how to help a child or a teen experiencing psychosis and really know how to work with those symptoms. So these programs are really kind of profoundly different in that way, immediately enabling um, you know, Help. young people and their families to get into treatment and treatment with providers who are expert in psychosis. Yes,
2: did you want to add something? Missing. I just wanted to add one really quick thing because I know there's this broad perception out there that individuals who are psychotic are dangerous, mm-hmm. and I know I mentioned criminal justice earlier, and I just want to say unequivocally that that has not. Um, um, that has that not played out in, in uh, the services and the people that we've met and, and, and worked with. Um, and in fact, they are much more um, likely to harm themselves or um, experience suicide than to harm other people. So I just wanted to throw that caveat yes. out. Well, like
1: they say, the greatest predictor of violence is previous violence. <laughs> so if a person is already violent, that's the main indicator. Thank you, ladies, for being here today and sharing your expertise. I'm Julie Ames, and you're listening to the Special Needs Family Hour on AM 860, The Answer. Please join us next Sunday afternoon at 1.
0: Thank you for listening to the Special Needs Family Hour. If you've missed any part of today's program, you can get the podcast of this and every show at specialneedsfamilyhour.com. While there, please take advantage of the resources we've made available. And if you're so inclined... Please support the advertisers that support this program. Special Needs Family Hour, Inc. is a non-profit 501c3 organization. More than anything, just know that you are not alone. And we invite you to join us next Sunday at 1, only on AM 860. The Answer.